Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Please be seated. Would you join with me one more time? Let's pray and ask God's blessing on His Word preached. Father, we come to the Word given to us by the Lord Jesus, penned for us by your Holy Spirit. This is from beginning to end your word, and where your word is, it always goes out and accomplishes things. And so we pray today, God, don't let our hearts be hardened by your word, but instead be brought to life. Maybe some of us for the very first time to see the beauty of Jesus and trusting our lives to his care and receiving his salvation. But for all of us, God, come with your word and work in us today, we pray. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to believe. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, so the general principle, if you have the wrong guides in life, you'll never flourish. Now, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is, is his... Uh, sort of uh, first hundred days uh, in office. He's just taken his public ministry and he's laying down in this sermon um, a picture of human flourishing. And the point that he's making in this passage is if you have the wrong guides, you will never flourish in life. You have to make sure you listen to the right people because if you have the wrong guides, your journey will be dangerous. When Apple Maps first launched, it was a disaster. They had decided that they were going to replace Google Maps on the iPhone with their own version of Apple Maps, but they had bought the bad data. Streets were ending in the wrong places. Entire towns were out in the middle of the ocean. People would search for taxi services and find that they were calling taxidermists. The wrong guides will lead you away from flourishing. Be careful who you listen to. This is Jesus' point, right? The wrong guides will either lead you to life or to death. And we've been studying the Sermon on the Mount. It's Jesus' most famous sermon. And this is, you'll have, remember, you know, this isn't just his take on human flourishing. Jesus is God in, in flesh, This is God, the second person of the Trinity, having taken on humanity. This is God saying, this is what human flourishing looks like. And in in this point in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, we're beginning, or we're in the middle of Jesus' closing comments. He's wrapping up his sermon. And he's doing it with a series of contrasts. We saw last week him contrasting two gates that lead onto two roads that have two very different ends. One is a narrow gate, and it's a dangerous road, but it leads to life in abundance and for eternity. The life that comes from God alone. 
The other gates, wide, many people go on it, find an easy road, but the end of that journey is destruction. And now he's shifting gears, if you will, from that. He's moving on from these two journeys. He's actually digging a little deeper here. He's drilling down. And he's saying, if you're going to take a journey with Jesus through the narrow gate and the dangerous road, you better make sure you have the right guides for the journey. What Jesus is doing is he's elevating the importance of good teachers who have good theology. So this is where we're going today. First, I want to spend some time dethroning the idea that doctrine just doesn't matter. Because I think this is sort of where... um, I think this is, is sort of what we catch. This is the waters that if you're a Christian, we swim in the most. The doctrine just isn't that important. It's what you feel and what you do. And Jesus is kind of going to flip that on its head. And then I want us to, to kind of then shift gears from there and talk about and look at what Jesus commends to us as the kind of people that we should be listening to. The guides that speak on his behalf that will lead us to um, through the narrow gate on the dangerous road to the end of the kind of life that comes from God. He is warning us to beware of false prophets. That's how he begins. Beware of false prophets. And then he ends in verse 20, thus you will recognize them by his fruit. And everything in the middle is describing why we should beware of false prophets. But I think before we dive in and begin to to look at the importance of the teaching of prophets, we just need to understand what he means by prophets. Because I think most of the time, if you're a Christian, you think of a prophet as someone who is telling the future. He's foretelling, he or she is foretelling what is going to become. And that would be a helpful, if that was your grid, that would sort of be a little bit helpful if you're reading this passage through that grid. You know, like Jesus is saying, watch out, um, you better be careful who you listen to because they might tell you the wrong things about the future. But if you're, if you're anything like me, you're sort of like, I don't need to know the future. I need a guide for today. Right? I, need a, I need a guide that will help me get through my job. I don't need a guide who's going to tell me what's going to come in a thousand years. I need a guide for this day. I need a guide that's going to help me raise my children in a, in a wise and flourishing way. I need a guide that's going to keep me from getting frustrated with my, my children. I need to, I'm just trying to figure out how just not to be angry all the time. I need a guide for today. And that's what a prophet was in the Bible. A prophet wasn't primarily someone who was foretelling the future. He was foretelling God's word. He spoke on God's behalf. He was God's mouthpiece who revealed, God revealed himself through, as the writer of Hebrews says, chosen men of old, men who God had chosen to speak on his behalf. And the picture of this is in the book of Exodus when Moses is is, uh, arguing with God. You know, like, I shouldn't be your mouthpiece because I'm not a very good speaker. I don't speak good. And so God says, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give Aaron to you. And Aaron will speak on your behalf. And Aaron will be like you to you like you are to me. He will be your prophet. He will speak on your behalf. And so when a prophet speaks, he foretells, he tells forth God's word, and it comes with the authority, thus says the Lord. 
And so what Jesus is warning us here to beware of false prophets is that there were some people who are going to show up speaking on behalf of God, and they aren't. And you need to be on guard against them. Now it seems so judgmental, doesn't it? I mean, Jesus had just gotten done saying just earlier, judge not lest you be judged. Who am I to believe? Or who, is, who am I in my position to judge what someone else believes? Their beliefs are their beliefs. But every worldview has its standards, right? From, from universities that are disinviting guests because of their beliefs or because or whether it's the intolerance of intolerance that's so prevalent, everybody has their standards by which they're judging right from wrong. The assumption is, and the reason that's the case, is the assumption in all of our hearts is that ideas have legs. That ideas, that what you believe, eventually get worked out in your life. And so one of the things that Jesus is doing here in this passage is he's reintegrating doctrine and practice back together. One of the problems that we have is that we divorce, we tend to divorce ideas from their consequences, doctrine from actions. And and so Jesus is reuniting them back together by talking about in this metaphor of a tree and its fruit. Later in the Gospel of Matthew, he talks about this same metaphor, but he uses it differently. There he's talking about a, free, a tree and its fruit, referring to the human heart and what comes out of it in one's actions. Here it's different. He's using the same metaphor differently. Here he's talking about the teachings, the beliefs of false prophets. Verse 17, when he says, So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but a diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. He's saying the same thing differently. It's, a, it's an ancient Hebrew way of communicating, saying things in reverse. Same thing similarly, but in a different way. The tree, you get this, what he's saying. The tree is the false prophet's teaching. And the fruit is their way of life. And this is generally true. This is Jesus' point. Ideas always have legs. They always get worked out in our day-to-day life. We naturally live out what we believe. The ideas that take root in our heart over time will get worked out in the way we do life in this world. And so you have to be careful who you guys are. In this way, God has made us. He has made us so that what we receive in the mind gets worked out in our lives. They're closely intertwined. The ideas we receive become the tree that bears fruit in our lives. Jesus, he cares about who his people listen to. He doesn't know this modern disintegration of doctrine and practice. You'll hear some churches say, you know, what we really care about is doctrine and and you'll hear some churches say, we really don't care about doctrine. What we really care about is, is making disciples who make an impact on the world. And Jesus is like, you should care about both. Because they're intimately intertwined together. You can't disintegrate your ideas from practice. If you do, you're not a flourishing individual. But also notice the relationship between the fruit and the tree. If you don't have good fruit... 
You'll get cut down and thrown away. And this is a point he makes over and over again. You could have good theology if you're not integrating it into your life. One, it's not really what you believe. You're believing something else, and you examine that. But if there's no fruit that's coming out of that, there's a judgment for you. You'll be cut down and thrown away. If you have good theology, it must be producing good fruit in their lives. There's a defect, and it does, if it doesn't, and the, the defect isn't with doctrine, it's with the heart and what it does with it. If you use doctrine to build yourself up, to just um, stroke your ego and build your pride, you're like a man who uses sex for his own gratification and not for for the benefit and the strengthening of marriage. It's the wrong tool. The right tool used wrongly is just consuming it so I can have a better sense of who I am. I'm better than you because I've got my theology right. Well, the truths of God's word in the hands of Jesus always came with humility and tenderness. Notice, too, there's a priority Without good theology from faithful teachers, you will never produce good fruit. This is, again, Jesus saying, look, the change in my kingdom is not by human effort. Change comes when the word is received into the heart and the mind. And so there is a priority here. The, The truths of my word must be received into the mind. You must know, actually know sound theology if your life is going to be changed at all. The tree, a good tree, produces good fruit. And so here's the promise tended to that. Dwell on the word of God in richness, and your life will change. Read in depth the things of God. And you don't have to be an academic. You you can be just as common and new in Christianity common in your understanding of the things of this world but go in depth into his scriptures it's been said and i believe it's true because it's been true in my life and i've seen it true in others that the bible the truths of the bible are like a river that a baby can swim in it's shallow and and easy to understand but it's also that same river an elephant can drown in because there's depth and richness and here's the promise Dig deep into the scriptures. It is a good tree. And it will produce good fruit in your life. Are there things you do not like? Are there besetting sins that you can't get over? The truth of God's word through faithful teachers will produce good fruit. It's inevitable. It can't be stopped. So, here's Jesus' warning. Since that's the way it works. That's the way the human mind, the human heart, and the human hands work together. Here's Jesus' warning. Beware. It's a serious warning. It's an imperative. It's a command. It's not, it's not a suggestion. It's kind of like it carries the tone of what you would say if you're walking through the woods and you saw a nest of rattlesnakes that your child was fixing to step on. Watch out. Beware. Not a mild suggestion. This is a warning. There's danger ahead. Watch out for false prophets. And then he gives us some keys to look for. Who are the kind of people that we should be listening to if you're a follower of Jesus? 
Who will bring about flourishing in my life from God's word? Well, the first thing he says is who not to listen to. He's warning us that the false prophets come in sheep's clothing. That should scare us, right? Because it means that those who will lead us astray are going to be coming, as Paul says in Acts chapter 20, from our own midst. They're going to be false prophets dressed up like they're the super spiritual Christians. This has always been the case with God's people. They were always led astray throughout the Old Testament by false prophets who came up through their own. It wasn't so much a danger from the outside, from the nation surrounding Israel that brought Israel down. It was those who had come in sheep's clothing from their own midst. These are going to be people we need to be on watch for. They sound spiritual. They use Christian lingo. They have big ministries. They're great to listen to. But what they are saying is destructive. And that shouldn't surprise us. It shouldn't surprise us that wolves come in sheep's clothing. They shouldn't surprise us that they're masquerading as one of our own. Because Satan masquerades as an angel of light. It's easier to fool God's people with a corrupted version of the real thing than it is to fool them with the teaching of this world. God's people will be more quickly, we will be more quickly led astray by people who are using our lingo but, but capitalizing in half-truths. Because this is the way the evil one tempted Eve in the garden, isn't it? Did God really say you shouldn't eat from that tree? Did can you really trust what God said here? Let me give you an alternative understanding. There's another, there's another way of seeing his words that will give you everything that you want in life. And ironically, Adam's great failure in the garden, before he even ate the fruit, Adam's great failure, was that he let the snake in to hiss his half-truths to God's people. So we need to beware. We need to beware of the false prophet's motivation first. Three things to beware of. Inwardly, he says they're dressed up in sheep's clothing, so you won't recognize them immediately. Inwardly, they're ravenous wolves. It's a very picturesque use of words. They're ravenous, they're hungry, and they will consume whatever they can get their hearts on. They crave money and power and prestige. It's such a, a vivid picture of a wolf that's so famished, it will indiscriminately attack and eat whatever it can get its hands on to satisfy its ravenous desires. And your false prophets, Jesus says, will be like them. They will crave more, more power, more influence, more prestige, more a name for themselves, more money. The false prophets get wealthy at the expense of the sheep. They take all of these. It's the, it's the, it's the person on TV who's conning older saints to give them the money with the promise that they'll have blessed life, they'll be free from the cancer they're struggling, only if they'll give. Meanwhile, the retirement is gone and they fly around in private jets ravenous wolves who are taking and consuming it's contrary to the way of the cross 
This is the great problem with the ravenous wolves. It's so contrary to the way of the king. We should expect the servants of the king to take the way of the king. The way of the cross is service, pain, and suffering. And that Jesus did the opposite of the ravenous wolves. He who had all power, glory, prestige, and honor in heaven as the Son of God left it behind to take on our humanity in the form of his servant, even to the point of death, even to death on the cross. Therefore, God is highly exalted, and, and with him went you. He spent everything so that by faith in him you could have everything. The false prophets flipped that on its head. So these men came into the church of Corinth trying to disrupt it. Super apostles. And they challenged the apostle Paul's leadership and authority. And so Paul says, here's here's how you know you can listen to me. I've got something to say too. And here's how you know you can listen to me. I took nothing from you. I gave everything I had to you. Here's how you should listen to me. I'm like Jesus. I was beaten 39, with 39 lashes twice, shipwrecked, went hungry, destitute, abandoned. My life looks like the cross. It doesn't look like the crown. Listen to me. This is why an elder, by the way, one who serves as an under-shepherd of Jesus, caring for Jesus' sheep, should not be greedy for great gain. Listen to the ones whose lives are less like ravenous wolves and more like the self-giving love of the Savior who suffered much for you. Secondly, look at the false prophets' words. Look at their motivation. Look at their words. I won't spend much time here. I'll say this again. Like the evil one, they masquerade with half-truths masquerading That's whole truths. Everything they say may be untrue, but only partially true. You have to listen to what they don't say. They don't speak about the glory of God and the judgment to come. They make the the narrow gate wide. They man the center. They often can be subtly detected. The false prophet will, will center on fulfilling your needs, making you happy giving you what you want, like God is a a great vending machine in the sky or the genie that you, you rub to get whatever you're asking for instead of one who orders all things according to his will for his glory, who will one day sit on his throne of judgment to whom we must give an account. Remember what God says, even in accomplishing salvation in the book of Ezekiel, it's not for your sake that I'm doing this. I'll wash you and make you clean. I'll take out your old heart of stone and put a new heart. I'll make my spirit dwell in you. But be aware, it's for my glory that I do this, not for you. The false prophets make man the center. Where those who speak on God's behalf speak as God is the center around all things must orbit him. They also fail on two accounts. They either talk about the judgment of God and not the grace of God, or the grace of God and not the justice of God. They either speak of his love and kindness and not his righteousness, or his righteousness and not his love and kindness. Do you see what's happened at the cross? 
Both of them have come together in the great miracle where God, the righteous one, revealed his righteousness by punishing sin and by making sinners righteous in Jesus Christ. That's the true gospel that a thousand monkeys talk, typing for a thousand years could never come up with. It must come from heaven. God satisfying his own judgment for our sins by giving us his own son. That is otherworldly. Listen to that all day, every day. False prophets who need to weigh their life. Weigh their motivations, weigh their words, then weigh their life. Again, integration of doctrine and life. As you're looking for who you should follow, the guides on the journey of life, the one thing that you should be looking for, apart from their words, is an increasing conformity to God's law. It's the wide path, David says. I delight in your law. Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish God's law, but to fulfill it. You're not looking for perfect teachers. You're not looking for perfect guides. But you do need to evaluate the fruit of their lives. You will recognize them by their fruit. If you see a life that's increasingly going off the rails, making excuses for why God's law should not be followed, why his word should not be obeyed, don't follow that person. If you follow someone, follow someone who's saying, this is what God's word says. I don't measure up. It's the standard. I need to live under it. I failed. I repent. This is why the church in Berea was such a beautiful thing. And they're commended as, quote, noble church. Because they held the standard of, of, the, of the apostles to the word of God revealed. And so Paul says radical things, just unbelievable things. These are the kind of things that you should hear from those who are going to, if you want to guide in this life, they say this. Imitate me as I follow Christ. Or the writer of Hebrews who gives this test for what to look for in a leader. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. I'm going to be honest with you. Like to stand in the pulpit and say that is really scary. It's really scary because my life, like, doesn't measure up to the standard of God's word. But oh, it's still the standard. Either I will make it conform to my life or I will make my life conform to it. Follow those who don't look to conform God's word to the passions of their life. Certainly, this is most true of Jesus. He is the only hero that you should have, the only leader that you should follow wholeheartedly because the fruits of the true prophet of God, it commends us to Jesus, doesn't it? I mean, Jesus starts off this, these beautiful sayings, this call to action in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and then the whole rest of the book of Matthew, you're like, oh, he did it. Like, he actually, he was actually meek. And what happened he inherited the earth. That's what he said would happen. The meekest man alive. Given all of creation, all authority in heaven and earth. He holds all things together. It was his great reward. Because he was meek. And he says, don't be angry, but forgive. 
turn your cheek when someone strikes you. And, and when Peter abandoned him, denied him, he restored him in love. And he stood on the cross. He was the great crime, the greatest injustice ever to face humanity. The one perfect man being accused of treason against God. And what were his words? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He loves his enemies. He forgives those who wrong him. And so give yourself to this prophet. Right? This, his word will produce life in you. It changes lives. And it will produce a greater and greater conformity to the law of God. Let me close with this. The story is told of a renowned, well-trained chef. Who, after years of culinary school and... Um, and and cooking in restaurants and invited her friends over for dinner. And they trusted her because of her training and her renown. Her presentation was a delight to the eyes. Everyone who saw her food just had all of their senses peaked in delight. And so she chose, carefully chose a cracker with a beautiful pate on it, well-cut vegetables placed on top. It was a beautiful thing. She even put bacon on there. I mean, who don't like bacon, right? And so her guests were gobbling it up. They trusted her skills and her sense and her love. Little did they know, as they were praising their hosts, that they were eating dog food. Well-adorned dog food. But it was still just dog food on a cracker. Don't trust everyone who brings spiritual things to you. You might be eating dog food on a cracker and delighting in it. Look for their motivations. Examine their words. Look for their way of life. And for those who, in all three of those things, look most like Jesus, hang on their words because they're bringing God to you. And he changes things with great power. Let's pray. Father, as we confessed earlier, we are not a, as discerning as we need to be. We give ourselves indiscriminately, and so we pray. Sharpen our minds. And we would pray, as we've prayed earlier, that you would deliver us from the evil one, that you would guard us from false prophets who, like ravenous wolves, are dressed in sheep's clothing. We don't want, we don't want to be led astray by them. And so pray, pray, guard them, guard us from them. And then give us the gift of sound men and women who we might hear your word from and follow. We need guides because this road is hard. So we pray this, Jesus, our great prophet in your name. Amen.